ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Chris and Andre Show. Welcome to the Chris and Andre Show. We're glad you joined us. I'm Andre. Oh, yeah. (laughs) We appreciate you joining us. Um, We talk about everything here from sports to pop culture. We don't get paid for doing this, but uh, even if we did, we'd probably just keep talking about what we wanted to. So, again, we're very grateful you joined us, and we hope you enjoy this episode, yeah, as we get started. So, Chris, with further ado, let's get into business. Collaboration, synergy, thinking outside the box, raising the bar, breaking down silos, shifting the paradigm, disrupting the market, business. That is so painful. (laughs) I feel like there's an episode of The Office where BJ Novak used every single one of those, like... (laughs) when he became an executive at dunder mifflin um i mean those just to be clear those are all things that you and i heard at one point or another in our time at e-area it's like like and not in a joking manner like in a legit like guys this is this is good advice these words that mean absolutely nothing (laughs) well i'll i'll say this in defense of synergy right actually all those terms it's always great as long as you execute the things that you say you're going to execute, right? Um, yeah. For example, I got introduced to the seven habits of highly effective people, like at some point in my career, and it was very pivotal in like my personal life and my professional life. But what frustrated me was that nobody really tried to live out those those principles. Uh, so from books like Good to Great and you know all these other you know now manager strengths or it's like they're great ideas and, and sometimes principles, but the company doesn't really buy into it. It's like, how do we show that we care about your development? We're going to give you a book. Uh, and the company I work for. We're going to give you a different <laughs> book every quarter that we expect you to read, not while you're on the clock, yeah. but in your own personal time when we're not paying. Yeah, while you're at home. Although in our minds, we are paying you 24-7 at a much lower rate than what you've calculated as your hourly wage <laughs> based on a 40 to 60 hour work Yeah. Week. So, no wonder that's a great transition to <laughs> I know, the right? great resignation. <laughs> oh, it's happening. Yeah. I, um, I, I stick by my previous, my prior statement. You know, people don't want to take shitty jobs. And just for the record, I was going to mention this before. I've heard several things on YouTube with the exception of the F word, nothing was bleeped out. So I just, so as long as I curtail my F word usage, we should be okay. Um, Oh yeah, no, (laughs) totally. I'm, and I mean, like I had been bleeping out shit for a while because I like, and I know that like shit and the F word are not on the same level. Really. This is just an excuse for me to say shit a bunch of times in a row. Um, (laughs) But same thing like i guess the more and more that i was kind of listening through some stuff on youtube i was like eh. i mean the truth of the matter is this is obviously not targeted at children right right? like we're not trying to get people under the age of you know 16 uh i mean not that we're targeting 16 year olds either but we're not facebook (laughs) no uh or instagram or any of those other bastards out there 
But yeah, I mean, like at the end of the day, I mean, my kid hears me talk, right? And and the conversations that you and I have, although I have been trying to curtail my use of the F word a little bit more in her presence, um, in large part because she started using flipping, (laughs) like, or what the flip. Loop. And like, it's hard because on one hand, I'm like, you're not swearing, but you're, but on the other hand, everybody that hears you say that knows exactly what it is that you're replacing yeah you're creating you're creating loopholes for my little buddy yeah that's terrible which is which is a tricky position to be in as a that's parent funny. right like you don't want to be the one generating loopholes. <laughs> you're trying to close them as often as possible my gateway but anyways. my gateway word was crap and i was like probably 10 and the first time I put crap in a sentence and my parents didn't punch me into oblivion, yeah. I was like, oh, I'm good. <laughs> so uh, Sucks. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, sucks. And for a while it was like, oh, we don't say sucks, you know. And then it was like, once I hit like 13 or 14, sucks became perfectly acceptable. There was a time in second grade that I called a kid an asshole on uh, the playground. We were playing handball and our ball went into his court and he was a dick anyways. But he grabbed the ball and kicked it across the playground instead of giving it back to us. And I was like, you're such an asshole. And he ran and told the teacher. And I was just like, so not only are you an asshole, but you're a snitch. <laughs> Snitches get stitches, boy. Oh, don't worry. I mean, I shivved the hell out of him after class. That so, I met him behind the playground. <laughs> so back to the great resignation. Um, yeah. I think it, it goes back to what I said before. People don't want crappy jobs. And there's a bunch of crappy jobs out there. And let's call it for what it is. Um, it, it's I mean, obviously it's a culmination of different of a bunch of different things kind of at once here. Right. That, that I think is leading to this. You're absolutely right that the crappy jobs are a big part of it. And then I think the increased from what I've read, I shouldn't say I think, but it makes sense to me that the increased unemployment benefits and stuff like that, uh, that people had been enjoying for a while may have tempted them or been made it easier for them to feel like I have time to transition to something else. Um, but I think at the end of the day, what you're finding is a lot of people just have given up the idea that I have to put up with a crappy workplace environment, whether it's customers that I have to deal with or management or other employees that, my time and my misery isn't worth two thirteen an hour if I'm, you know, a server. Well, I was, like it's even it's with funny, tips. It's or... funny you say two thirteen an hour. Apparently, there's a, a Hooters waitress that made four hundred bucks in one day. Well, sure. On top of her two thirteen yeah. an hour, and that's in South Carolina. That particular week, she made sixteen hundred bucks. So, I I think the damn it. <laughs> I was literally sitting here watching that happen. Oh, oh my gosh. We're a professional podcast full of professional podcasting. People. That is going to be the bane of my existence right there. This stupid cable. <laughs> um, I, I think the, I, I don't like the argument that the unemployment benefits encourage people to stay home. I, I just don't like that argument. I, I think that. No, 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 no. And I, go I, ahead. Sorry. I'll let you finish your, your thought. I believe that at the end of the day, if if we were treating employees, we collectively, as valued, we're paying them fairly, a lot of these stupid conversations wouldn't exist. And I, I just I re, I just can't get on board with that argument. And I've heard it from like actually I talked to a clerk in a corner store 
uh, the assistant manager and he brought it up and I was like, but wouldn't you agree that people just don't want crappy jobs? And he was like, well, that too. I'm like, so cart before the horse or like, which one do we want to address first? Uh, so I, I guess I want to clarify my previous statement. I don't think that the increased unemployment benefits are encouraging people to stay home, right. but I think it, what it does is it, it, it provides people with a greater confidence that I can get through the next 30, 60, 90 days as I search for a better employment. Okay, that's that I, I'm not required to stay in my crappy job where maybe I feel like I'm being mistreated or undervalued or underpaid or whatever it is in order to wait until I have something better. Right. That I have an opportunity right now to to shed that job and to not have it. I mean, I mean really, like, so... I think we, uh, you and I had talked personally. I don't think I shared this on the last podcast, but I've been getting into Reddit more mm -hmm. lately, which is something that we have talked about on the podcast before. Um, and one of the really popular Reddit sub subreddits right now is anti work, right? And it's primarily people posting messages from their bosses telling them, like, you know, so and so called out tomorrow. I need you to be there. And I've worked the last eight days and this is my only day off. And, Yada, yada, yada. Now, I am pretty sure that about 50 to 60% of these posts are all fabricated right. um, because people want attention. But there, I know that there is, I mean, that's a legit thing. Like, I dealt with that in previous jobs, especially the service industry, you know, um, where there's this belief that simply because I have availability, that means I'm available to come in whenever you want right. to, right? Um and I so yeah I think that there's a lot of people who are just like <laughs> cool good luck finding somebody else to now replace me for the next two weeks you know which I would have given like would have given you a two week notice or something but I'm just done yeah um, I, I I don't I don't disagree I think that there is a um, you know we've we've talked about it personally where I miss to be I'd be lying if I said I didn't miss the money I made at a certain company I worked at but I'm so much yeah. happier. Right. Um, I can afford my lifestyle. We keep the lights on and, you know, we're able to save pennies. But it's like, do I need the extra money to like, for, you know, at what cost? Um, right. And it's just not worth it. Uh, I want to say maybe it was it has to be about tw at least 20 years ago. I read an article in The Wall Street Journal talking about how there's a lot of guys that weren't taking the next promotion because they realized the value that they had being better parents. And that was probably, you know, part of the chipping of the iceberg for me to realize that maybe my career is not, I, I'm, I'm climbing the ladder, leaned against the wrong wall. And that's a you know good analogy from Franklin Covey. So it, you know, once you start to strip away those things, the, the next, Although it's scary to make that change, it's easier to make that transition. And I don't think it's wrong. You know, like uh, we've talked many times, like, are you going to buy a $8 Big Mac? Well, we let the market dictate what people should get paid. And McDonald's in a lot of places is paying over $10 an hour at, you know, at an hourly uh, position. And yeah. let the market decide. I, I don't need the government to decide what the minimum wage is. Uh, now, granted, it's a tough transition, but it's a meaningful transition at the same time. So, yeah, 
No, and I, I still think what we've talked about in terms of, you know, if you're in a state that has a low minimum wage, don't worry about what, you know, President Biden or, you know, the members of Congress are doing. Worry about what your state politicians right. are doing, right? Like, contact those people, those people in your state legislature, and, you know, lobby for better, you know, working conditions, better pay for, you know, raising the state minimum wage, like... Those are all things that can be done at the state level. It's not something that has to be done across the board at the federal level. And yes, as much as I'd love to help out our brothers and sisters in Kentucky, right? Or, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, you know what I mean. Out in the middle of nowhere. Cause it's, look, everybody that lives in Kentucky isn't a shithead, right? Like, I mean, there's good people in Kentucky. And I'm sure there are people who are getting paid less than what they need to be able to survive. But ultimately, like, we got to start somewhere. Right. And so I think instead of starting at the top, we got to start at the bottom and then we'll be here. God, I knew you're going to do that. <laughs> oh, I, help it. I mean, like it wasn't in the plan, <laughs> but once, once, once I start, I can't stop. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's a, it's a fair, I think we're having the right conversation, the right dialogue. It does, you know, the onus, the onus of that is on the constituents of particular States. It is on the, uh, constituents of a, of a municip yeah, municipality. It's not so much on the federal government. Um, and right now it's an employee's market. And those ebbs and flows that you have in market stability, right? Like real, real world market stability are the ones that you need to capitalize on. It's not about the, um, you know, fantastical rhetoric that you can get from either party's extreme. But if Sam's clothing shop in downtown, you know, Cary can't open up because the only person working is Sam. I mean, Sam's going to figure it out pretty quick that, oh, crap, why don't people want to work in my establishment? And what can I do yeah. to make that a reality? And it's never going to be the question of higher profit margins at the sake of diminishing my business. It's going to be a matter of I'll take lower profit margins to sustain my business and grow from there it's it's one penny's better than zero so uh, well it's interesting um i can't remember if it's in this article from the atlantic um that we have in the in the show notes here specifically but just talking about the great resignation one of the interesting things was talking about the rate at which people quit their jobs right, right? and that it was perceived that you know, through the 40s and 50s and then through the 60s even that, you know, you got a job right out of high school. You stayed in that job for 40 years. You got your pension, you retired and you were done. And it turns out that during that time, employees were quitting for new jobs more frequently than we have over the last 30 years or so. Yeah. And that that rate is actually a big factor in wage increases. You know, that that your ability to leave a job to go to another job typically will result it not always in a wage increase. I mean, you and I have been there where we've left to go somewhere else to make less money because we just weren't happy with what we were doing. Right. But ultimately, like, I think it does put the ball more into the employee's court to say, you know, you're the one who ultimately decides what you're worth and what you're willing to work for. Um, don't let somebody else determine what your value is. Uh, if you feel like what your job is offering you, whether it's the benefits or the, the salary, the, the work environment, the requirements, the stress, whatever it is that all adds up to being that, you know, what we've talked about is that invisible unwritten contract between employer and employee. If you don't feel like you're getting a fair share 
go find something yeah. else. And I know that's not always easy, right? I'm not. I don't mean to make that sound flippant, like oh, just quit your job and go find something yeah, else. Nobody's but saying that. Obviously, a lot of other people have taken that approach right now, and it certainly seems to have flipped the hiring and employee market on its head a little bit over the last year or so. And the reason that's happening is because you you can't anticipate losing 40 to 50% of your workforce, right? If it was like 10 to 20%, companies can absorb yeah. that. Uh, I, I've said multi- <laughs> mostly by putting it on the other 80 to 90% right. that's still there. <laughs> <laughs> I often look back at uh, 08 and 09 and I look at the, uh, the national productivity numbers and GDP and the, my one fear was, well, if companies figure this out, how to make more profit with less sales revenue or whatever you want to call it, we're in trouble. And sure, shit, we were in trouble. Um, yeah. So now it's the opposite of that. And I, I believe that it's going to work out. And again, it's painful and it's not the ideal situation, but it forces it, it forces companies to pay their employees fairly. If we're not going to, if we can't all get behind a national minimum wage, and, and I'm not pro that, then this accelerates and expedites the, the need to pay people fairly. Because now, now it's like, well, let's take the cards off the table. And any company that's worth its salt is going to reciprocate. It's like, oh, well, we can't have nobody here. So um, anyway, uh, let's talk about uh, Raleigh. Carrie having affordable living in a fast-growing population. I don't know if that's altogether true, but we could... I was going to say, <laughs> how do you define affordable, right? Is it affordable compared to other areas in North Carolina? Is it affordable compared to, I don't know, California, New York? Like I think that is the I think that is the benchmark. Uh, right. The uh, higher education per capita in this like particular um, part of the state it's pretty high. It's actually one of the highest in the world, not just the country. Look at all of the freaking colleges <laughs> that we have here. <laughs> so so um, now, does that equal uh, an infl- a basically affluent population? The answer is no. It's just a matter of the median income here is extremely higher than, than the national average. So it eclipses... I think it's uh, 72% of the country in this one mm-hmm. pocket. And I think Mecklenburg County is uh, follows shortly thereafter. Uh, so yeah. affordable is subjective. <laughs> sure. Well, and think about it, right? Like part of what happens in these situations, I, I mean, I experienced this firsthand growing up in Northern California where in the you know mid to late 90s southern california had become so overpopulated that the property values down there were going were getting ridiculous right. you know i mean you were paying insane amounts of money for a house that was literally built on top of your neighbors like you had 2 inches of space between the houses um, so what a lot of people in Southern California did was they sold their house and they moved to Northern California because you could buy basically the same size house with ever so slightly more property for less money right. and pocket a bunch of it to get your boat and your jet skis and your fancy car and your you know golf club membership. And the problem that that ultimately introduces is now you are raising the, you know, the average cost of housing in that area right that market that you moved into because it was so affordable it almost immediately becomes less affordable because now you have a massive influx of money and people who are willing to pay more for stuff than what it 
was being, you know, either what the previous population was willing to pay or maybe in some cases what it's worth. I mean, we see that sometimes down here in Carolina Beach, right. you know, I mean, properties that people are paying half a million dollars for and you're like, okay, I, I mean, I sure, maybe it's the long game, you know, in five, 10 years, that property is going to be worth more than half a million dollars. It's not there now. I mean, the carry housing market, right? I mean, that it was ridiculous it's a bubble. and st still has been. <laughs> I, I was paying attention to a couple of uh, real estate analysts, pardon me, that were talking about an impending real estate bubble. And this market is one of the ones that I could see that actually implode. So affordable is super subjective. So if I'm moving here from California, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, you know, $600,000, I mean, you that's probably nothing. And when you can take, right. you take $600,000 in New York, like for, an, you know, you sold your apartment for, you know, let's say $700,000, that's an apartment. So I'm going to take that money and let's say I make uh, $300,000 off that. And I come to North Carolina, yeah. I can buy whatever I want, wherever I want, whenever I, you know, however I want to buy it. And it's a, uh, it's a it's a cyclical game. Like this will be the second housing bubble. No, the third housing bubble I've seen. Uh, I saw so uh, go, going back to my Northern California story because I think this ties in really well. When we moved from outside of Sacramento to North Carolina, we moved outside of Greensboro. Mm -hmm. um, the house that we had in California was nice. You know, it was a three bedroom two and a half bath it had a pool we had an indoor hot tub that didn't work but it was older right. you know like it was built in the 80s um and the, it was only sat on about a third an acre right when we moved here we paid less money than what we sold the house for there for an acre and a half that was on a pond that was a four bedroom three bath that eventually became a five bedroom three and a half bath right <laughs> it's like you know, with a three car garage. And so it's just, I mean, if that isn't just so indicative of the fact that like, yeah, affordable affordability is 100% relative right. to where you're coming from. Um, and, and what the lifestyle is that you're looking to invest in, right. Or to live where you're going. Cause sure. I mean, you could, you could move to North Carolina and buy a, you know, mobile home yeah. or, you know, you something can. like that, uh, prefab home. And, but you know, most people aren't looking to do that. Well, I'll, I'll argue. <laughs> I'll argue that, man. I, I see. I keep seeing these damn mobile homes on the highway. <laughs> I personally believe you should not be able to drive your house home. <laughs> like, if you have to drive your house home, you should not do that. Like, and it should not. I'm just waiting for Amazon to start doing uh, <laughs> mobile home deliveries. <laughs> Can I get that Prime delivery? Like two days. <laughs> I, I am so infuriated with the, the, the it's just a traffic hazard. Like, and I'm not, hey, I personally. No, it is. I mean, the the wide loads, yeah. uh, it's, it is, and especially here in North Carolina, where. At best, you have a three-lane highway. At best. And that's yeah. in the interstates. Right. And at that point, they've only been able to barely cram in three lanes by making them relatively narrow yeah. compared to what you are used to. So I, I am not pro- driving your house home if you have to and it's never the whole house no it's just half of it the <laughs> other half is on another truck a few miles behind <laughs> i'm just like yo no that's not okay so i that should be more of a regional like 
if I was in that industry, I would make it regional because the li- sure. the potential liability of like having somebody's house hit somebody's car <laughs> is I mean, I would just think from a logistics standpoint it's a nightmare. the yeah, the especially at this point, like the cost of transporting yeah. that home, right? I mean, the amount of fuel and time and the drivers. I mean, because it's not one truck with a driver; no. it's you have a lead car and a follow car, right? And then you have the truck. Uh, so I mean, that's three people, three vehicles that are traveling whatever distance. And then the offload. I, at I mean, the I'm with you. It. Yeah, yeah, and then you have to actually get it put together. I mean. There, I saw a mobile home on the main drag coming down to Carolina Beach where they were replacing the entire roof. Like, not just new shingles, but tore all of the plywood off, had to redo a bunch of the trusses under it, and then were putting the roof back together after that. And I just, part of me just sat there and went, there, how could it not be less expensive to haul that away and put a new mobile home there instead? <laughs> like, and I'm not, I'll be honest. So at, from what my mother tells me when she was in gold station in Goldsboro, uh, she lived in a mobile home. This is in the seventies. Right. So I get that's a mobile homes are a thing, I'm, and but I, this is, yeah, in, I, this in is the not modern too, day, I, I'm sorry. You cannot finance a car for 30 years. You should not ever be in that predicament. And I just don't think it's like, unless you are, you are seriously going to this, build a house on the plot of land that you have. You should never finance a car for 30 years. Even then, buy a motorhome. You know, like at that point, buy a motorhome, get your sewage set up there, have your hookup, and then build your house. Like, you're better off doing that, I believe, than you are investing in a mobile home. You know, sure, you buy the property that already has the mobile home on it, and you're going to stay there while you build the other things. Sure. That's whatever. But I'm with you in that I think, and, and, Correct me if if you feel like I'm, I'm off on this, but I think this comes back to something you've touched on, which is that not everybody needs to own a home, I, right? I, People are like, I got to own a home. I got to get property. And you buy something you can't, you can barely afford, right? So what do you do? You put a mobile home on it, and then that's where you're stuck for the next 30 years. Yeah, it's a terrible idea. It's yeah. – I, I, I want to – What are the commission rates on mobile homes is what I'm <laughs> – it's like, <laughs> is it? Do you have to buy, go through a real estate agent to get no. one of those delivered to your property, or, or like? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's even worse. <laughs> and this coming from somebody whose dad worked at car dealerships for most of his life growing up, so I know firsthand all that shady shit that goes on behind the scenes. Oh, I worked at a car dealership. I for worked two at a car dealership. Years, like, I mean, it's just yeah. like. And I and I'm not. I just don't think that everybody. I, and I get it. And I've heard this generational wealth conversation like several times in eight different places over the last week. But a mobile home isn't investing in generational no. wealth. I'm sorry. Like that's not an, a lasting investment. It's something that deteriorates. It's worse than a car. You're financing a car for thirty years. It's literally the thing that when schools run out of room, they slap a bunch of those on the property so they can educate the They're, kids. They cost from forty to eighty k. Right. Like think about it. Yeah, I I could literally buy like you said like a, an RV if my intent is to buy two acres in Asheville, I can get an RV and I can live in an RV for like twelve months and yeah, and build my dream. And home. you do a what a five year loan on your yeah. RV if you don't if you can't pay cash for yeah. it. 
And granted, if you're buying a piece of property that doesn't have a house on it, you're not getting a loan for that. You got cash already. Yeah. It's 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 an interest only loan. So I'm not. You but the the moral the no, moral you just the, solved the world's problems <laughs> once again, Andre. The moral of the story is you should never be in a situation where you're driving your home home or you're waiting for your house to get delivered to your home. That's just weird, and it. <laughs> so no. Um, so we talked a little bit about real estate commissions, and I know that this is something that you had on the list. Yeah. So I think this is maybe a good place to talk about this. I watched that video uh, that you sent me about the the Canadian stuff. Um, I don't know if you meant for it to happen, but it started at a very specific point in the video when you sent it to me. Uh, so I only watched from there on. Um, but it was essentially what I got from it is that real estate agents in Canada, instead of taking people to houses that had low commission rates already established for it, they were steering them to higher commission rate homes and hoping essentially that they would get more money off of it. And so essentially discouraging people from buying things that were perfectly affordable within their price range simply because it had they were ultimately going to get a lower commission rate on it. Yeah. Which is illegal. It's illegal in like 900 countries. <laughs> I can only speak for uh, the United States. Uh, yeah, it's so funny enough, the uh, real the North American Realtors Association is actually, they've got one of the largest lobbies and they're trying to protect commissions. As a former realtor um, who actually asked for a minimum of a six and a half percent commission, right? Um, I could justify my commission because I actually marketed a house. It wasn't just like, hey, I'm just going to put in the MLS for you. Um, and this is now specifically listing, or was it six and a half on both sides? If you were, did you do both sides? Were you a buyer's agent and a seller's agent? I only or? had that experience one time. Uh, okay. And would I forego my commission to sell a house? Yeah. Would I have I? Um, have actually here's a good example of like the where the integrity in that industry is lost. Most realtors, they should do rentals, but most don't because you only make a hundred bucks or fifty bucks off the off the um, off the deal. I th right. I thought it was a great idea. That's at, literally how I stacked my. Uh... Huh? Remember, she's back at the house. No, I told you that Christy got back. Remember, I called. <laughs> Ah, okay. Yeah, so she's back at the house. Yep. Sorry. No problem. That's literally how I stacked my client list because I would do rentals. Because I knew that the average yeah. person did a rental. They stayed in the rental for six months. They were going to buy a house and they'd start looking in month four or five. That's yeah. that's how I was. Who were they going to come to when they yeah. needed to buy the house, right? The guy that showed them. The guy that helped them get yeah, into the rental. And show them all 20 apartments. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it's the whole point. Like you're you're building your clientele right. base that way, right? Not every, like you said, not everybody is ready to buy a home right then and there. Sometimes what you're looking for isn't immediately available, um, and so being able to find something that works for somebody for the time being, and being able to pocket a little bit of money for the work that you've done, right? But then knowing, or at least anticipating, okay, what sixty to seventy percent of these folks are going to turn around and be looking to buy within the next six months. So it's not like it's a, you know, oh, all I'm going to get out of it is this. Yeah, for some of them. But for the most part, you're going to end up generating a return customer 
that is going to net you more money in the long Plus run. Plus a referral. Like 30 yeah. or 40% of my prior clients would give me a referral. So it, it's a matter, I, I think there, the argument that steering's wrong, I agree. The argument that commissions are too high, I agree with that also. Because the objective is to help a person sell a house or to buy a house. And at the at the base of that objective is the house that they desire. <laughs> it's not the one that you well, want to put them in. It's the one. Yeah, that... think about it too, right? Like if I've if I'm in a position where I don't have a ton of equity in my home, but I'm I'm looking to sell it, I could essentially be prevented from working with a real estate agent because of the commission. Right. Like it could make it so that that is not a viable option because I'm ultimately going to by the time I pay out the both of the you know real uh, real estate commissions that I'm not going to have the equity yeah. <laughs> in the house that I thought I was going to have, you know that you need to turn around and and invest in something else and so, yeah I I think I mean do I know what the solution is beside beyond what you're suggesting right lowering commissions in general and capping them somewhere or you know, figuring out what we can do. Maybe, I mean, do you think that like increasing rental commission a little bit so it's more than like a hundred bucks might help? Or is that, do you feel like that's going in the wrong direction still? Yeah, it's a volume game because there's a lot of, you know, um, heavy lifting to be done on the realtor side, to be honest with you. And it's not, um, you typically don't make money unless you close on something, which is a fact, right? right? Um, I, I think it's a, I, I agree with the comment that the, one of the, the people that were interviewed said in the segment that um, there is a place for realtors, but you don't need them. It's kind of like car dealers. You you kind of don't need them. If I can buy direct from factory, I'd rather do that. I don't want to, I don't want to haggle. I want the best price. I, I foresee that model taking over a lot of the, uh, you know, customer facing roles that we currently have car dealers Realtors. Well, you know who likes car dealers? Car dealerships. Car dealers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like. Oh, look at this inventory of vehicles that I can take one home any night I want. Doesn't matter which one. I put a few miles on it. Next day I get to drive another yep. one. I, I really, I literally don't think there is a, unless there's something dramatic that dramatically changes where there's a benefit to the consumer. Realtors are extinct, in my opinion. And if you remember in the video, one person said uh, that did the for sale by owner, it's not that hard. And like I, I literally, yeah, it's really not that hard. The only thing that you have to no. think about is, do I get a real estate attorney? Do you know? Yeah. I think a lot of that's that is the most that was the most difficult thing, yeah. honestly, right? And and even that when when I got a, the the family that was interested. I, you know, they did not have a real estate agent either. They were buying, you know, on their own. And I asked them and they said, no, we don't have, we're not working with anybody. And I said, well, do you have, uh, you know, a law firm or a lawyer that you would prefer to work with? And they said, yeah, we have this one. And I said, oh, that's funny. That's the one that I was going to recommend simply because I had worked with them before and found them to be a good, right. you know, like they didn't charge an exorbitant amount. They were really good to work with. They made it very simple and they were local. And so it was like, cool, this is easy, you know, and that's all it was. That's all. I, I went in, I signed the papers. I came back a couple hours later. I got my check. I went to the bank. Boom. Done. How so? Yeah, there's there's no like I don't see a, a real benefit except for the person that doesn't have the time or want to do it to look for a house. Yeah. Like, I, and that I get 
Yeah, that's that's a service, right? Yeah. Like for some people, but the majority of us can get on Zillow and put in a search and have it send us update emails every day. Yep. You know? Now yeah. What I was gonna say, but I'm I'm caught myself because I realize this isn't even true, is that real estate agents don't even have the opportunity to tell you what's going to be on the market before it gets on the market. That's not true. They do. Always? Yeah. So they can get you in before other people in that way. Yep. Okay. I get I would get a hot sheet like twice a week. But you think like even nowadays with stuff like Zillow and these other internet listing sites, like when I put my house up on Zillow, right? I, I would nobody. There were were real estate agents that knew that the house was going to be for sale before it went up on Zillow, right? Probably if you went that okay with Zillow or that way, no. But traditionally, like I would know before whether it was in my office. But that's if you're listing it with somebody else, right? So. So like if I if I called just for example, um, well, he's trying to actually no. There's the no there would there would be no <laughs> way to know because you're not actually. Um, there's I mean unless you're the listing. Yeah, agent, there's right? nothing that you know, or there's nothing you need to do to prepare your house to list it or or say I'm going to sell it. Right? There's there's nothing right. um, in it. There's no pre-qualification nope. that you have to go through. Right. So it's literally, I mean, the day that I put my house on Zillow was the day that literally I was like, I'm ready to sell it. Right. I'm ready. Not even I'm really necessarily ready to sell it, but I'm ready to show right. it. Right. Now I will. I'm ready for people to see it. I've taken the pictures that I feel are needed and I've got the, all of the information that I need to be able to. Exactly. And I've settled on a price. Exactly. So there's, but if you're, if you're listing with a, a realtor, then you know if if I, I, if you happen to be working with either that same agent or the same real estate, I've known uh, thir- firm, I've known thirty days before a house went like on the market. Sure, I've from outside of the of the firm I work with. So oh okay, so just just through word of mouth, or is there is that the hot sheet stuff that you're yeah. talking about? Is that there may be I may get a listing where it's like no, they're very motivated to sell and. We're going to go on the market in this time. If you know anybody, blah, blah, blah. Right. So you get all these realtor dinners, I mean, lunches. But even then, right, that's through, that's in large part because they are listing with another broker. Yeah, but brokers. Or some, they, some they broker. Talk. And that broker is going to talk. Yeah. Right. Because, so there are benefits, right? So if you've got like. But I guess like my question is. Is that fair to the market? Well, not even if it is it fair, but. If I'm not going to wait 30 days to put it on the market, there's no direct advantage, right? Oh, there there like, is, because I can actually okay. set up an appointment to view the house, right? Maybe they're trying to do some remodels or something like that. I can get all these mm-hmm. things knocked out of the way. I can schedule a house inspection, all these things prior to it even being a listing and close the deal before it even technically makes the market. So Interesting. that's the back end of due diligence. So, so I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm saying like there's, there are use, no, I, there, there are yeah. services that a realtor could provide you that Zillow cannot provide you. Um, and it gives you an audience of people that are more than likely qualified to buy the home because there's nothing worse than 
selling the home to somebody that's not technically pre-qualified to even purchase it. So, <laughs> so <laughs> that, is, that was the one thing with my house was, you know, like when they came to look at it and they were like, we're really interested. And I was like, are you guys pre-qualified? Like, have you been approved for the loan? And they're like, we're going, we're going through the final stages of qualification right now. Right. I was like, great. Just let me know when that's all done. And as soon as it was, they sent over the, you know, confirmation paperwork to say, yep, we're all good. And I was like, perfect. We're good to go. Yep. Now me, when I, whatever I do with my house, I'm not going to, I can do it all myself. I don't need to. Well, yeah. I don't need to like and, that. I because, And granted, yeah. like I'm fortunate because I have Your dad. my best friend who previously worked <laughs> in real estate and my dad who still holds his real estate license, but doesn't really like actively participate but i had two people that were very close to me that were able to help and guide me from a you know not from like a a representative standpoint obviously but just from a hey yeah this is these are the things that you probably want to keep in mind these are the things you want to get go ahead and take care of um you know hey is this all a legit does this seem usual yeah that's the normal amount that that makes sense okay yeah and you move Those on. Those sorts of things. So exactly. Now, should the should we offer these classes to people that have a license? Sure, I think that would be a. We should educate our our populace to understand what these quote unquote laws are, and we eliminate yeah. part of the problem, and it, it'll make the market market adjust to the new demand. Um, so the Zillow's, the you know Realtor dot com, although that's actually owned by the um, the the Realtors Association. Those services aren't going to go away. So it, yeah. it actually kind of ties into the other point that you – or the other note you put in here. 90% of the U.S. stock market owned by 10% of Americans. <laughs> I don't think a lot of people know that. Right? But but when we talk about the economy – Jesus Christ. It's whether or not the stock market's doing well, right? <sighs> so really what we're saying is how good are the 10% doing right now, Right? Are they making hand over fist? They are. Then we should all be thankful that they haven't brought down the wrath of whatever <laughs> on us. Like, okay, sure. Jeff Bezos and Boeing, go build your stupid space uh, port thing we, that you're going to do. Have, and... We have entire channels dedicated to 10% of Americans. Yeah. Like, they are not the... Well, and what, like they said, the other 10%. Um, it's all institutional. The other 90% of Americans own 11% of the stock market, essentially. Yep. So during the pandemic, I think the, the article said that the top 10%, the 10% richest, essentially, made $1.65 trillion off of the stock market. And the other 90% that own 11% of the stocks uh made 1.35 billion combined like so essentially the stock market is nothing more than what we've talked about before which is a way to transfer wealth from one rich person to another <laughs> it's i mean and this this is coming from somebody who is invested in the stock market right yeah. not like heavily but I have a I have a couple of like you know portfolios. But those are institutionalized like some... investments. Yeah, they're not exactly like the ownership. I have okay, so I will say there is one specific stock that I did buy individually that I'm rather. But it's just because I believe in the company. But that's more than anything. Sure, 
and and I'll I'll right? take that with it. And I and it's not like a every day I'm checking the and going, oh, is it up? Is it down? I'm like, no, I'm investing in this for the long haul because I believe that in 10, 15 years, this company is still going to be at the forefront of what their industry is doing. Again, it's I, I don't I don't discount that, but I look at no, I know I just I'm tuning my own oh, invest, okay. in, in investing because I was gonna right shit there. all over it in a second because <laughs> like yeah. because we don't know nobody that I know makes enough money to where their their shares of ownership make a, a difference at said company. It really right. it's really it's never been designed to be that way, and. No. It's interesting that people, first of all, our government screwed us with the the swap out of pensions for 401ks. Uh, but it's also interesting to see that people, like, they keep getting super excited about the stock market. I'm like, yeah, but I can almost guarantee you nothing you own is affected by any sway, positive or negative, in the stock market. Like, your 401k will more than likely never be impacted by any, like, change that we have over the next 10 to 15 years not long term right not even long term unless there, unless the entire market collapses no no, no. right but what so the one i guess I, i'm not i'm not trying to argue with you what, what you say but to make i guess a, a, maybe to support what i say yeah in a sense so during the beginning of the pandemic right last year um, was it last year? Two years ago? Yeah. <laughs> How long have we been doing this? Almost two years now? When, like, back in, you know, March and April of 2019, 2020, um, my dad got really nervous because the majority of his retirement stuff was in the stock market in one way or another, and it took a hit. It took a pretty significant hit, and he was panicked was like, I got to get my money out. I can't stand to lose any more money. And his financial advisor was like, no. Right. Just stay in. It will come back. It, if you leave now, you are essentially abandoning every penny that you have already lost. Right. Like you are locking in that loss. You are not providing yourself the opportunity to gain that back. And he did. And he's fine. Right? But that's where I think... People think that they can outsmart the system in that way. Well, but, you know, that they're going to become a day trader. It was the whole day trader thing back in the dot-com bubble. I've, got a, and before I've that. got a friend that's a day trader, and he makes, like, on average, like, twelve to $15,000 a day. Right? Wow. And he's very, like, he's younger than me. Like, he's, like, a lot younger than I am. He's got a higher tolerance for risk. Mm -hmm. But for every 10K he, he makes, he loses, like, 15 but <laughs> Wait, no but so, seriously okay but if yeah. you look at it cumulatively he makes enough money to support him himself and his family but yeah. he's got a healthy view of what the market's for it's not for like day traders are a different breed right it's sure. a different type of analyst it's a different like everything is different so but don't you feel like there was a point where where that lifestyle was marketed to your everyday investor? Yes, when as well, yeah. right? Like the the E Trade, e -trade. Scott yep. Trade, and all of these websites where it was like, oh, just get in, throw your retirement fund in here, throw it around a little bit, we'll gamble and we'll see what we come up with. Oh, craps! I, like <laughs> I, I would I would say like with a with a lot of certainty, the only true investments that are worth their grain of salt would be 
cryptocurrencies, which I'm not very well versed in. And secondly, and Bitcoin. No, that's <laughs> no. <laughs> currencies and real estate. Yeah, because with both you have a limited supply. A company can um, they can the they can actually make more shares available by diluting the the current value of X shares. Yeah. At any given point. And that's how I, I believe most companies get out of bankruptcy, whether it's, you know, through, you know, complicated buybacks or whatever. I think the only true investments that are worth anything at the end of the day are going to be like currencies, which again, it may be commodities, but again, those are two things I'm very not well versed in in real estate. Um, the one, the one stock that I invested in is frozen orange juice concentrate. Oh. Sorry, that was a reference to trading places. Oh, I was like, it's got to be going somewhere. <laughs> I, I, um, I bought Playtex because um, they make a lot of baby bottles. <laughs> like, yeah, and I made a decent amount of money, but there was, I'd say it was ninety eight, and the market was kind of like. Um, it was it seemed better days and my sure. whole portfolio i had to turn off the tv because i was just going you were getting upset <laughs> <laughs> every day it was like an emotional high and low but i would yeah. say that you know it doesn't like the the mark the people's people's fascination with the market itself and not really understanding the indexes not really understanding what the the true intent of uh stock trades are it's it's willful ignorance and it's frustrating. It's uh, yes, it is. I think where where people like the the divergence, right, is that the people who look at it as essentially just a legal form of gambling. Because mm -hmm. in a lot of ways, it is sure. right. Like you don't know what the future of these these companies are necessarily going to be like. You don't know what the economic future of these countries are going to be, and so you are essentially gambling with your money that. This, that they're still going to be there, that the value of the stock is going to go up unless you're shorting it, which I still think is a really stupid, bad idea. Um, but I think, I don't know about you, I think this is a good time to maybe transition into politics and talk about a certain somebody who had something recently to say about the stock market. Well, before we do that. Okay, if you got you want to you throw your other, you go ahead, right ahead. My wife shit all over HGTV. <laughs> Like and I wasn't expecting it, but it was hilarious. It was like the funniest. Did she at least clean it up when she was done? <laughs> no, she made it even worse. It was like she, like, she. All right, so we're watching this remodeling show, uh, Love It or List It. No, was it Love It or List It? I don't know, but that became a target of her, of her um, anger later on. Um, okay. It was some. They were in California. Oh, it was the uh, Property Brothers guys? Uh, Make it my dream. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Great show. And these people said, oh, "Our budget's one hundred thirty thousand dollars." I'm like, "Okay, that's, that, make, that makes about you know that makes sense for what a is, remodel." Yeah, yeah. I'm like, okay. "That makes sense." And my wife's like, "No, it's it's just too much." <laughs> I'm like, "What are you talking about?" She goes, "They get nothing for one hundred thirty thousand dollars." I'm like, "What are you talking? Like, help me understand." She goes, "Babe, think about one hundred thirty thousand dollars on a remodel of like twenty five hundred square feet or whatever it was. It was less than four thousand. Yeah, that's a whole brand new house, and they never buy anything at Home Depot or Lowe's. They always go to these specialty places, blah blah blah. I'm like, let me Google to see like how much people make for being on HGTV. You know how much they make? 
Zip, zero, zilch. The the people who are on the show, yep. the regular Joes whose house is being remodeled. Yeah, I mean HGTV doesn't pay them crap. So that means that because I was we were talking a couple weeks ago about like, yeah they do all their renders definitely before the show happens right, and then she the one she said that I'm like oh now it all makes even more sense. They've literally they've gotten their loans or they borrowed cash or what or maybe they have the cash at hand. Either way, they they're spending like a hundred thousand plus just to have somebody else show their house like or to show it on TV. Get these qualified individuals to make recommendations, but at a premium that doesn't make sense. At right. a freaking premium. And I was like, I mean, I could never watch HGTV the same way again. I can, I, now I'm just like ruined. I'm like, damn, yo, 130K? That's probably a 70K job. Like when you think about it. I'm trying to remember who the who the two guys are on HGTV. Um, it's the gay couple, Nathan and Jonathan, or something like that. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you know exactly who I'm talking about. So I love them, like their personalities, and the shows are absolutely hilarious. Just watching them interact with each other, but they come in and they're like, "Oh, this is this has to be," you know travertine tile and you know this has to be original italian marble flooring and all this stuff and i'm like i i don't know i mean like so the house that we're renovating here right i didn't hire uh somebody to come in and tell me what colors look good on the walls (laughs) what flooring to pick what you know i i uh i got help from somebody that helped us to do the layout for the kitchen cabinets right because that's not something that's super easy and it's helpful to have somebody that can say all right this is kind of how you typically want to lay things out these are the you know the rules that we tend to follow just so that you have enough space and you can reach the things that you want to reach and that um but beyond that everything else that we did was just us going in and saying i like that let's do this Right. You run into a problem. You go. All right. How do we solve this? Well, we got to put a wall here. All right. Cool. Let's put a wall there. Like. It's not again. Right. It's just like selling a home. It's not that hard. I'm not saying go grab your sledgehammer and start ripping down potentially load bearing. That's a terrible idea. Right. That's a bad idea. But I, I see that on that show on those shows. Right. I've seen these professionals go in and rip out a wall and then go, oh, wait, wait, wait. That's load bearing. Stop. We have to put that back up. We can't take that down. And I'm like, I would lose. Is it your job to know this beforehand? <laughs> I would lose my crap if that happened because I can tell you a load bearing wall just by looking at it. I'm like, oh, that's probably load bearing. Yeah. Um, it's not hard. Yeah. Right. Like it's not that difficult. <laughs> you look at the wall, then you look up. Oh. <laughs> and the other thing is, it's not that it's impossible to remove or or to alter load-bearing walls. It just means that there are specific requirements for how you do it. You have to transfer the load. Yes. So a lot of the times you have to have a laminated reinforced beam, something like that, and then you have to have it sitting on something that can support the entire weight that that beam has to hold up. God, we should just... All right. Yeah. This podcast is now the Chris and Andre remodeling show. <laughs> No, but she, I mean, she really messed me up. And I was like, now I'm, when I look at those shows, I'm like, and they say they're a budget. I'm like, I could probably do that for 80K. 
See, and this reminds me of House Hunters, like, or specifically House Hunters International. They make 500 bucks an episode, though. Sure. But, you know, Jim is a stay-at-home dad. Marla is an independent (laughs) photographer who only takes pictures of nature. They're looking for a house that's close to the beach, but also in downtown, you know, Kansas City. And I'm like, what? They have a budget of $5,000. And I'm like. And then they pick the house that didn't meet any of their requirements. Yeah, that's like, that's, that's always that's the second house. It's always the second crazy. house. Crazy. It, it's just like now I can never look at these shows and take them like, especially the remodeling ones. It's like the like property like house hunters. I'm typically right like 98 percent of the time. Or which house because I listen to what they're asking for. Right. And and ladies and gentlemen, well, more specifically, you listen to what the woman is yeah. asking for. <laughs> Because, yeah. brother, I hate to tell you, but it doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what you want. That's, if I, if I, she ain't happy, nobody is happy. I'd be lying if I said that wasn't true. But I would say that I uh, had the, the, the fortunate opportunity to work with a, a lesbian couple some years ago. and That must have been tricky. That was – it messed up every, you know, like pre- – Every dynamic that you had previously <laughs> established. <laughs> I didn't know where, like, I didn't know, I didn't have a safe place at all. I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Maybe we should ask Lynn what she thinks. <laughs> so yeah. it was like, That's fine. but you know, uh, be that as it Now we can transition because, but I did want to make a point that my wife shit all, yeah. all she shit all over it. Now I can't watch HGTV with um, any amount of certainty of like how I feel about it. But let's talk about no. politics. That's good. That's good. <laughs> It's time for politics. Oh, Mitt. Yeah, so... I don't know how we... It's time for politics. Riverside, please fix that. And Chris, please don't edit it because that is... Okay, just to be clear, I didn't have a choice last time because our media board file wouldn't finish transcoding. Oh, really? It was stuck in the cloud transcoding stage. So I reached out to Riverside Support, which I know we're on politics and this isn't politically related, but I do want to say that I have really enjoyed the Riverside platform. I find their customer support to be generally responsive and to, to be, you know, helpful to the best that they can. Right. Um, they did eventually get the media board file out of cloud transcoding and I was able to download it. But by then I had already gone through and dropped in all of the sound effects because I wasn't going to wait around for that to finish to get the episode published. But in the last week's episode, as you may notice, if you go back and listen now, after the first couple of sound effects, every time that we played a sound effects from their media board, it repeated it twice. And it is rather irritating when you feel like I can start speaking now. And then it's like, so anyways, somehow we managed to run 
business, the business topic for like an hour. Yeah. I did not expect that to happen. It was great conversation, so I'm not complaining. But I'll try to keep politics relatively yeah. short so we can get through some more of this stuff. Uh, yeah, your boy, Mitt Romney, <laughs> uh, since you always love to use that phrase with me. I don't say it like on... that. It's kind of racist. No, I know. <laughs> I don't have a racist bone in my body. Damn, Trump. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was my John Gruden impression. Oh, okay. Same person. <laughs> See, you don't even know which rich white guy I'm pretending to be now. <laughs> they all sound the same. Anyways, Mitt Romney, uh, you know, our resident Mormon in the U.S. government. That's not fair. Decided. I think he's a, re okay. he's a resident idiot. idiot but. Okay, resident idiot yeah. um, in our U.S. government decided to go on Fox News today and complain about the infrastructure bill, specifically about raising taxes on billionaires, um, <laughs> because God knows that nobody stands up for the 10 billionaires that we have in this country. They are woefully underrepresented compared to the other, what, 6 billion of us? How many people live in the United States? I don't know. 350. Doesn't matter. 350 million. 350 million sure that sounds like a great number. no that, anyways actually true no i believe you i that, i believe you i that, andre what have i ever doubted you uh let's start back okay with... that one time doesn't count though <laughs> okay <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah so he basically says don't raise taxes on the billionaires because they won't invest in the stock market they'll buy paintings and ranches not things not things to create new jobs. Not things to create jobs. Yeah. Because everybody knows that the stock market creates jobs. Uh I mean, I guess stock brokers, right? <laughs> and everybody knows that billionaires love to buy ranches and then go shovel their own horse shit. <laughs> yeah. I That's just so stupid and so disingenuous. Like, you know that he doesn't actually believe the words that are coming out of his mouth as he says them. And so I, for one, feel like, I mean, you know, my tweet, which I still feel is, is pretty damn hilarious, was essentially Mitt Romney proving once again why he was never fit to be president in the first place. <laughs> like, I take offense to that because I voted for him. Um, I know, and I'm sorry that you did that. So my, my, my conservative, <laughs> like, I, I used to be somewhat fiscally conservative, but... I, I've started to realize that our current government doesn't support that. Right. Um, I, I think the argument on taxes should, I actually agree with Warren Buffett. It should be a flat okay. tax. Like let's all, let's just stop arguing about it. Let's just make it a flat. We tax. all pay 5% or whatever, or whatever, whatever that right? number is. Yeah. Just throwing a number out yeah. there, but um, it's not, you know, 20% for the first 10,000 right. and 32% for the next 100,000 and or option and then zero if you make over a million dollars or option B a graduate an actual graduated tax that eliminates the loopholes. Um, the reason why wealthy people don't pay taxes is not because they don't want to. It's because we have so many loopholes. Right. Because they don't have to. No, that's they or, have because to. they don't they have to. But there are loopholes. Well, that's what I mean. They don't have to pay because of the loopholes that are created in the tax system. They don't they have, have to essentially. They don't. They have to, they, they pay, have to pay. But the loopholes allow them to reduce their tax liability. 
That's the difference. Right. That's the argument that people, it's not that they don't have to pay. They have to pay. But the loopholes reduce their tax liability. The things they can write off reduce their tax liability, which right. ne- ne- like at the end of the day makes their liability zero. Right. That's that's what we should be arguing against, not so much of, oh, they should pay more taxes. No, that hasn't worked for since World War II when we actually instituted the, the federal tax. Right. But raising the tax rate on billionaires will not change anything if we do not enact rules that eliminate the loopholes, right. which means ultimately you don't really need to raise the tax percentage. You just have to eliminate the loopholes so that they are actually being responsible for that tax percentage right right this is what it boils yeah. down to warren buffett says he'd love to pay this you know he'd love to pay taxes but the loopholes i mean like seriously and it's it, when that's right when, you... when i say that they don't have to right that the loopholes give them the ability to reduce their tax liability to essentially zero yeah and so through that they are not then you basically aren't because your tax liability is zero you're paying hardly anything on it or you're getting money back from the government right. like like a lot of us do at the end of the year right actually I, I don't well yeah if you do it right you should owe the government a very small amount of money when it comes time to pay your taxes that's 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 what that's, i've always been told because essentially that's even debatable right there's some loopholes that are um available to some but not others right so it all de- right. it all depends on how you navigate that whole process so but there's so many loopholes, right? At this point, that's part of it. I mean, there's and, just enough and to part make of it, it is the unfair. tax preparation right. lobbyist as well, right. right? I mean, that's a huge factor in this. Part of the reason that the tax system hasn't been simplified over the years is because you have groups like H and R Block and you know all these other Into tax it. preparation services yeah. who are like, yeah, no. If people could just pay the amount, I mean, it's the whole reason that the government. I mean, the government knows what you're supposed to pay in taxes. They knew it. Right? They knew it before the they, they knew it before like the W two was or exactly was, before it was ever said. Yep. And yet we're basically told you have to figure it out, and if you're wrong, <laughs> we're gonna come and get you. Right? How does that make any sense? The way you illustrate that is so hilarious. <laughs> we know, but isn't it true? We know. You gotta go figure it out, and if you're wrong, we'll be at your door. I mean, it's basically an end of year test, right? Like we're back in eighth grade here, and it's like we know all the answers. You should too, but if you get it wrong, you don't get to graduate. <laughs> that is, um, it's not. That's a terrible analogy, but it's yeah, in it, short it, how it is. But it's it's yeah. I will say, Mr. Romney's. Um, like uh, his conclusion's wrong, and granted, he's a multimillionaire. That's that's yeah. let's exclude that from it. Who probably has close to zero tax liability, right? Uh, I'm sure. Just, I'm, I don't know that sure. for a fact, but I'm just saying. I would on average. I would hedge most my bets. Very very wealthy people. I would hedge my bets <laughs> and say that is probably very true. He probably uses uses his income as a uh, senator as like his workable capital for the year. So, yeah. um, I'm not going to be a hater, but I, I think that the, the argument that we keep having is the wrong argument. It's not about taxing the billionaires. It's just about let's close the loopholes to where, like, you can eliminate the need for tax returns. You can eliminate the needs for um, most accountants. And there are special accountants that look at strictly liability. So, 
what what I'm hearing is Andre Powell is anti jobs. Sure. <laughs> Why not? I'm, I'm just. I mean, sure. No, I, I'm with you. Like there are whole industries that have been built out of this that don't need to exist. Right. Right. There. I mean, we talk about unnecessary bureaucracy in the government, and yet. This is one of the biggest scams that I think has been perpetuated on the American people for decades now. Or what if we repeal the law that in instituted the federal tax? What would we do then? That w that's a bigger question. I don't know. What would we do? Because when I hear uh, sitting congressmen and women and sitting senators talk about raising revenue, such mm -hmm. as we're a product, it pisses me off to no extent. What I'd like... So this, I feel like, kind of ties back into the stock market thing. What happened to bonds? Nothing. Right? They're actually a pretty stable investment. But why isn't that where we stopped? Bonds should be the way that companies and the government raise money. Okay. It shouldn't be taxes. It shouldn't be stocks, right? I'm not... Uh, I, I don't want I ownership in the company. I want... You to tell me in five years you're going to pay me back the money I gave you plus interest. I'll, I'll I'm I'll, your bank, right? I'll entertain that. Um, I think part of the complication with that is the amount that we consume. Sure. So our our consumption has never met inflation. Our consumption's never met um, supply. Um, and companies needed to borrow money at a higher rate. Does that to the point where they they couldn't issue bonds fast enough, or the bonds weren't? I think a little bit, like a lot of things, like complicated that. Um, whether that be we couldn't issue bonds fast enough, or we couldn't realize returns. If you look at companies that actually still pay a dividend, there's there's a very small percentage of those companies that still have paid a dividend. There's a super small percentage of companies that have paid dividends since they've gone public. So. Yeah. Um, it's a great question. I, I don't know if it's, I mean, it could be potentially a solve, but I, yeah. I, I would, I, I, I would repeal the law that says that we have to pay a federal tax. Like if we can't figure out the tax situation, we, if we're not bold enough to change the, the loopholes, let's repeal the law and see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> I like, I like how we added that with, we'll just see what happens. What's the worst that could happen? Oh, the U.S. government defaults on all of its. <laughs> but, I mean, hell, we do that every almost every three months anyways, yeah. right? Because, oh, the government shutdown is looming. If if the Senate it doesn't agree to some the, stupid debt ceiling you know, limit raise, then we're all, oh, China's going to come calling for all their money that we literally don't have. I mean, what are they, they're going to show up and they're going to foreclose on the White House? Oh, no. I have a joke that would fit, but it's going to make us transition. Well, yeah, that's fine. Whatever. We'll give them all really the money. Want to talk about this. We'll give them all the money that we earned from Fast and the Furious Nine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's go to pop culture. That that sounds like fun. What we're gonna also gonna find out is whether or not this place twice. <laughs> Even better, I'm gonna solve this problem myself. Yeah, go ahead. Play it twice now. <laughs> oh, that movie sucked. I watched it on... Oh, good. I, when did I watch it? Uh, yesterday. 
What's today? S- Today's Tuesday. Oh. Watch it Sunday. Yeah, watch it Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. God, because you weren't watching football. <laughs> God, what a. <laughs> By the way, I, I'm there with you, man. I'm telling you, Russell Wilson to the to the Denver Broncos solves <laughs> all our problems. <laughs> it doesn't really, but uh, yeah, that was awful. I mean, and and this is coming from a guy who's seen every single one of them, right? Um, and there have been times where I've been like, <laughs> that's the worst one they've ever made. They can't get any worse than this. And then they got rid of The Rock and uh, Jason Statham and replaced them with John Cena. <sighs> and, and Who I don't inherit, like, as a former professional wrestling fan, as you can see in my many World of Wrestling magazines behind me, um, let, all right, let, not, let me give a disclaimer. So who, yeah. whoever's going to call this review of this movie cringe, oh, yeah, yeah, use more words. Use all of your words. Yeah. How about you reply to my comment when I ask you, <laughs> thanks for the feedback. Could you be a little bit more specific? What didn't you enjoy? He also at one point commented, show your effing face or show your stupid face. Really? And I'm like, what are you talking about? Our faces are right here. Like, you are the one with a profile picture of ghost writer you know the ghost writer <laughs> like that's not your face or if it is i'm sorry okay so whoever you are and i'm not coming at you we're open no but i will later so watch it back no we're not doing all that um no we're not but because i don't care <laughs> yeah you commented on it yeah. honestly thanks, i didn't tell you to leave a good comment thanks thanks for your feedback <laughs> but um yeah get at me like in real life and actually have a conversation um yeah Hey, you want to come on the podcast yeah. and talk to us about pop culture stuff? Hit us up. Yeah. Comments at chrisandandreshow.com. Andre at chrisandandreshow.com. Yeah. Chris at chrisandandreshow.com. Yo, we'll, we'll definitely have a conversation. But for any Fast and Furious fans, yo, the movie sucked. It was so bad. <laughs> it was so bad. There was a, there there was was a throwaway line by Charlie uh, Charlie's Theron about you know trying to explain how John Cena could be dom's brother that just made me throw up in my mouth yeah it was terrible and here's another tangent i've done a lot of research into the toretto family i didn't know there were nordic bloodlines in there which yeah i mean like no i did not at all care for the casting of young dom and young john cena i thought like young dom just was like oh this guy I don't even know. Like, I didn't. I the whole movie. The whole it sucked. Movie was so bad. The like, the driver that comes over and is inspecting the car after the wreck, right? Like in the flashback scene, and then he starts like picking a fight with the kids. Who's spoiler alert? Dad just died. Like, really? If, Re- if... He knew I was going to pit him into the wall. Like, no race car driver <laughs> in the history of racing. <laughs> Has ever done that. Yeah, your dad's dead, but it wasn't my fault, even though I'm the one who wrecked him. By the way, pitting people into the wall is not something that you do when you're racing cars. Like, we, this isn't, you're not the police. You're not out here trying to prevent a high speed chase. Like, this is a race around the track. If your spotter didn't tell you that there was oil at the top of turn two, you're a moron and you need to fire your spotter. It was sorry. I grew up in racing, and so, like that stuff just frustrates me when they get so lazy with that. You know, it made me the the most mad. <laughs> he caught your girl on the hood of the car. 
<laughs> and she was alive. <laughs> okay. We talked about that while we were watching it, Christy and I, and I'm like, so apparently, like, the hood of a car is the softest landing spot on Earth? Because that's multiple times that they've done that in multiple movies. No! It's so bad. Like, no, my wife, just... my wife was like, why are you watching this? Physics. So, like... The bridge, right? The bridge that is all of a sudden just no. like, oh, no, the bridge is is falling, but we can still drive up this rope bridge. Yeah, because that's how friction and gravity and physics work. Oh, and, and lock better, our front brake. Yeah, I'm just going to just somehow magically know that by crashing into this one post that I'm going to hook it onto the car and we're going to swing across to the other side where we'll be perfectly safe. Oh, and the helicopters <laughs> that could have just as easily flown over the gap and blown just us up around. anyways will magically stop because it's the border. That movie was awful. Oh, so bad. So, 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 so bad. Um, I'm done with that. I yeah, I can't even – I don't want to spend more time on it yeah. because it was so awful. I'll just get uh, tired. Oh, okay. One last thing. Second spoiler alert. I swear if you get mad that I say this, I've said spoiler alert twice now. Han, I'm alive. And you didn't tell anybody. anybody. But now seems like the time for me to come out of the woodworks. Like, I get it. You just – he wasn't signed on for the next movies or whatever, you know, but this and I'm really like Marvel has done this to an extent and it frustrates me where you just completely undercut every death in every movie because ultimately we know that you're just going to find some bullshit excuse to bring them back. <laughs> and it just drives me nuts. Like there should be consequences. Here, here's the thing with Fast and Furious. Please stop making those movies. That's that's all. Seriously. And the uh, mid credit scene. <sighs> With Jason Statham? Yeah, I, I'm a big fanboy. But Who was in the punching bag? Was it some, supposed to be the rich dude? Or just some random guy? Some random guy. guy. It, it was, Great. Yeah. This means a ton to me then. <laughs> Next. Like, I just, yeah. Okay. Uh, so, I think we had talked previously about how I fell asleep multiple times trying to watch Free Guy. Uh, I finally sat down and finished it. And actually enjoyed it. Great like, movie. It was, it, it was good. It was enjoyable. It, I liked, like, Taika Waititi. I don't like him. Is a funny guy. I know you don't like him, but I kind of like him. I think he's pretty funny. Um, the girl that plays the lead, uh, the first thing I ever saw her in was The Politician on Netflix, which I, doesn't seem like something that would really be up your alley, but I watched the first season and thought it was kind of interesting. Um I, it took me a hot minute to realize that it was her playing both characters in the game and not in the game. Really? I didn't. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't catch it at first, and then, but probably because I was exhausted and fell asleep twice. Um, but the the third time when I found, I was like, oh, okay. Um, so yeah, I liked Free Guy. That was good. I enjoyed that. Uh, I finally watched The Protege, and then texted you and was like, dude, have you seen The Protege? It was really good. And you're like. Bro, I told you about that, and I forgot. But, yeah, it was really good. Like, Sam Jackson, Michael Keaton, although the whole sex scene. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of, that, like, I, I kind of glossed really, over that. Really? Like, but. Yeah, was... I, I kind of just moved past it, but it was like, 
come on, guys. That was five minutes I didn't need here. Yeah, you, like, literally you know? shot each other. I don't think I'm ever trying to, like, yeah. smash somebody that shot a gun at me. Like, that's not even I, cool. At what point, I mean, you're, it just doesn't make any sense. Because you're literally putting yourself in one of the most vulnerable positions you can be in with somebody who's trying to kill you. Dude, it's, like, why? what if they were successful, right? Like, does that scene happen? Like, in my mind, I'm doing, like, you know, cinema sins in that whole movie. I'm like, oh, dude, I broke this encounter with it. With... God, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> I broke this encounter in my mind with Fast 9. I kind of, like, stopped doing it in, in a Free Guy. In the protege, that was when I started going, bing. <laughs> so, what if she was successful? Do you still, is, are, is the power of boners, like, stronger than, like, you know, this chick was, or this dude was shooting at you for the last 10 yeah. minutes? The fight yeah. scene before that was way too long. Way. Uh, yes. Way too there long. There were parts that were, yeah, like, there there were bits and pieces here that needed some work for sure. But overall, like, it was enjoyable. Yeah, good action um, movie. She's Spoiler alert! Again, this one's been out for a while, so it's probably not as bad. But I, I, Sam Jackson coming back at the end—that pissed me off. Yeah, I didn't like that. Just let him be dead. I didn't like that. Like, st- stop it with this stuff. You know, it robbed, and then it robbed he comes her, back to then it, blow it up again. It robbed her motivation, and it seemed like they kind of scrubbed over that, and she was like, she knew it. I'm like, no, she. Yeah, she went no, through all this. She had angst. no idea. Yeah, all this angst. To get to where she's at, you're going to pop up? Come yeah. on. No. There were parts of it that were lazy. Yeah. Um, last on pop culture, this is a rarity for me. I read a book recently. With words and uh, pictures or just words? With wor- No pictures, just words. Okay, okay. So uh, we went last Thursday to our local library down here. We got our library cards. Oh. And I was perusing, and they had, in the new section, they had this book called uh, Fortune, uh, like the Lost Years of Uncle Chow Tang, I think is the, the series. And it's by an author, Ian Hamilton. Basically, the book takes place in Hong Kong in 1995, and it's two years before uh, England is getting ready to hand the Hong Kong back over to China, communist China rule. And this main character, Uncle is one of the leaders of a triad gang uh, in what they call the New Territories. And it's all about him dealing with this transition and all of the stuff that's kind of coming up and the other gangs and what they're doing and and all of that. It's really interesting, and I think you would actually really enjoy it because it's all about people. Like, it's not all about violence and, like, all this stuff, but it's it's so much inside this guy's head of him figuring out, like, what's my next move? If I do this, what's this guy going to do? He's like, I mean, dude's playing you know, three dimensional chess while everybody else is shooting marbles. <laughs> it's, it's, it was, I've, it, it sounds dope. It's like 300 pages long. I finished it in like five days, which is a record for me. I'm a very slow reader. It usually takes a lot for me to kind of get into it, but um, yeah, really good book. If you get a chance, fortune uh, by Ian Hamilton, very enjoyable. That sounds dope. We always bash on stuff, so I wanted to make sure I, we had a call out for something good for one. So let me let me end uh, pop culture with still saying Fast Nines or F- Furious F Nine, where the hell they call it, still sucked. Yeah, let's go next. Yeah. Social media. Oh, see, now I screwed myself up, didn't I? <laughs> Okay. I don't want to talk about Facebook because they suck. 
and I heard that um, Mark Zuckerberg was getting real whiny and saying that he wants to change the platform to focus on uh, 18. The metaverse, right? And he wants to change the name and also yeah. focus on 18 to 25 year olds. Uh, because the fact no, that... that's what he wants to focus on personally. But you know why, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Because he said that um, he thought it was pretty lame that younger people don't use Facebook. <laughs> no, the problem is Facebook's too lame for younger people to use it. <laughs> you got that backwards, Mark. Yeah, I, I don't really care. So screw that guy. The meat of that for me is that. Um, I've been seeing a bunch of articles about algorithms and it's like the people, the pundits that are talking about them, they don't understand algorithms. They don't know what an algorithm is. Yeah. It's like, dude, stop talking. Um, the short, <laughs> the short version for me is if you don't like the content you're getting on social media or you feel that it's, it's changing your, your worldview stop using social media. You don't have the constitution to manage that because I can almost guarantee you the algorithm is, it knows more about your patterns and behaviors more than you do. And it will adjust quicker and faster than you can ever adjust. So the only, so we, the only, the only plausible thing you can do is stop using social media. So I think we talked about it last week while we were discussing uh, This Week in Google, This Week in Technology, our other favorite podcast. Um, and at the time, we were discussing the Facebook or the developer who got banned from Facebook for building the newsfeed scrubbing app. I, since I didn't have access to that Chrome plugin, I went through and scrubbed my own newsfeed on both Facebook and Instagram. It has been one of the most enjoyable weeks of social media of my social media life. I get on Facebook, I see two things. One's usually from my daughter's school. One is from like one of my immediate family members. And then I see about 17 ads or other suggested crap. And then it's like, that's it. Then it's all stuff I've seen before. And I stop. And I'm usually by the time I get to the ads, I'm like, all right, cool. Same thing with Instagram. I go on Instagram, I see one or two posts and it's like, you've reached the end. I'm like, cool i'm done like i i haven't looked at my you know because like my phone apple does the weekly screen time reports and stuff like that to tell you how much you use so i didn't look to see it by comparison but i can only imagine that it's gone down significantly from where i was previously and it's tricky right because we use social media to promote the podcast but not like we don't pay for advertising right. on social media we are just using it as a platform as a way for us to get to alert people that there's new content out there for them. And hopefully through Instagram hashtags and Twitter hashtags and stuff like that, maybe start to develop a little bit broader audience, right? To alert people to the fact that we exist. Um, but it's been so nice not feeling at one point you, I, it was just, it was like FOMO, you know, the fear of missing out. Like, Oh, if you're not on social media, you're missing what's going on. And then, for those of you who are on Facebook, don't be offended. It's not that I don't want to see what's going on with you. What it is is that if I if I want to know what's going on with you, I'm going to go look at your page. Right. Right? And I'll scroll through your post specifically so that I don't have to see 30 things from groups that I follow that I don't really care about, you know, or whatever it is. I just – it's gotten to be too much. I can't 
you know, like I, I think I was kind of in that boat where I was like, I was having a hard time kind of managing my own social media use and f have found so far that this is a much happier experience for me. That's good. I, I don't, um, yeah. you don't use the social meds. Yeah. I just, I, I don't care for it. I, I just don't, but I will say this, my, my dude, Dave Chappelle and Dave Chappelle will probably never listen to this podcast. We might, we might make a segment out of this. I send him an email every week with our, no, yeah, I'm sure he doesn't care. Um, Dave.Chappelle at ComedyCentral.com. <laughs> That's his old email address. Oh, you're, yeah, okay, strike I out. think he still checks it, though. Jesus. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I respect him for coming out and saying he's not going to bow to anybody's demands. Um, and, like, I, I listened to a pundit this morning. Uh, it was... Um, Gosh, John Avalon, and I can't re remember her name, but she's a uh, I, she's a political commentator, and I think she's kind of torn about where she's at, and and just like she's like I'm I'm part of two marginalized groups. I'm a she's obviously a woman, and she's a black woman. Totally yeah. got that. Uh, John Avalon made a very intellectually honest point, and not saying she didn't, but it was just like yeah, but it's not about agreeing with his position it's about being able to have a dialogue and not canceling the other person so i respect both of their opinions i will say this i think that dave Chappelle, like holding his ground and, and like making the point of what he did it's pretty good and i know there there are people that say or they don't agree with his position on that community and i'm not here to say that's right or wrong i'm just saying i still don't think he's wrong it's just a matter of, look, guys, if we get to a point where we can't have the dialogue and that doesn't mean total agreement all the time, but at least getting to a point of understanding, we're no better off than had we not ever had the conversation in the first place. Exactly. Um, we're basically at the point now where it seems like the in like the initial response is to <laughs> scream until the other person shuts up. Yeah. You know? And apologizes and backs down from whatever position they took. And that's not a productive dialogue. That's not a dialogue at all. Yeah. Um, we won't achieve anything through that. And it's not to say, you know, I mean, like, you know, like in Germany, right? You can't fly the Nazi flag. You can't even, like, talk about Nazis, essentially, because they, they were like, we ain't going back. Um <laughs> But that's not what we're dealing with here on that same level, right? This, like, Dave wasn't talking about extermination or eradication or the mistreatment, like, intentionally mistreating members of the LGBTQIA community. It's his opinion on where things stand right now. And, and I think, again, right, if you go back and actually watch the special and listen to what he is saying... He's not disparaging people. He's not disparaging an entire community. He's talking about his experiences and what those experiences have led him to know or to think and, and the opinion and position that he has right now. I, and that isn't to say that, that his opinion can't change over time, right? All of us are, are open to that. And I think even going back to like sticks and stones, right? Which, which is where it, he kind of, people felt like he initially stepped in it. And I was one of those who at first was like, I don't know, Dave, like, 
I like you, but and it wasn't again. It wasn't even like I necessarily disagreed with him, but it was like you're gonna get some shit for that. But is that enough to say like you shouldn't say that ever? Right? It's I, the, I don't know. Art- I still I feel like his his position on those things matured or changed right from from sticks and stones to the closer i think it's all the same position i think that it's just here here's and i'm not going to speak for dave Chappelle, but i'll speak as a person that like well i agree with his position i think that the the fact that you can't have a conversation you have to prove your point to to make the masses agree with you or just to say you're right is it's wrong in and of itself. And that's what makes me not want to listen to the other side. I think if you can listen or understand how some people tell stories like Dave does, his whole, his whole set is a story. Yeah. And it took me a while to kind of realize that, yo, he's not just telling jokes. He's like, you have to pay attention from the first sentence he says all the way to the end. And once I started doing that, I'm like, yeah, I really appreciate his whole set. I think our, our, our nation's dialogue or most society's dialogue is based on the snippets. I fit, I hit it. You hear the period and you think it's the next thing. Nope. It's still part of the same story. Yeah. That's the, it's all part of the same conversation. Yeah. Right? And I, I think that that's the, uh, that's the the beauty and the genius of how he can you know deliver jokes, and they're not jokes just for the sake of the punchline. They're jokes of you know, kind of breaking down a barrier to actually have you know to actually have the conversation. And for people that don't understand that, I come from a culture and an age group that was super homophobic, and because I had to do life with people that I I, I now love and care about immensely. I can appreciate their experience. I think Dave gives people an opportunity to kind of like just experience that in a different way. Um, so don't miss the forest for the trees there. And, and I know this is, it's a challenge. I'm not saying it's easy, but like, you know, I, I can't, I have friends and what I consider family that are gay or transsexual or and and I love them like family. And there was nothing I wouldn't do for them. But it took me in my own way of getting there to like, oh, crap, you know, so-and-so is a good person. Like the other stuff that I may not necessarily understand, it wasn't agreeance. Remember, there was a point in my, like, we would talk where it's like, look, I don't want to accept that. I, I can appreciate you, but you can't force me to accept it. That was part of my ignorance of, yeah, but it doesn't mean like, that's what I have to do. That's that's what works best for that person. And that's, you know, that's who they love. And I think, I mean, Dave even kind of touched on that too, right? Like to what point do I have to participate in your self image? Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to, it's, it's something. And I think Chappelle's like a couple, maybe two years older than I am. We come from the same like timeline. Yeah. Very, very similar, right? Like, yeah. I mean, you guys are very, very similar demographic in that, in that regard. And so, so, so I think it's a matter of like, look, nobody's saying that. Um, let's go back to sticks and stones. His issue in yeah. sticks and stones was no, it's not the same fight. And I wholeheartedly agree with that. 
his issue now and the closer was okay we can agree it's not the same fight but don't pretend like every like part of it is don't pretend like everything's rosy in this in this whole like uh journey and 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 in to to get to equal rights right this crusade to get to equal rights it's not rosy either we, we there are still things you guys have to work on too and we can learn from each other right um and it's not to well, do- and I, yeah i think part of his point is that a lot of the times the the impression is given that the lgbtqia community is a monolith right that they are all one and they are all feel the same way and they are all working together to raise up everybody in that group but the truth is that they are like this close to dropping the l yeah over the issue of you know transgender and trying to figure out how they manage that there is rampant racism throughout members of that society and so i you know part of it is kind of like look we all want the same rights that are that others have and nobody you know should be denied that but you can't pretend like everybody in your in that group is an upstanding you know person like this just that everybody's perfect in that group and that, that you know i think at least that was something that i kind of took away from it i think was just like you all got some work to do on your side too but let's figure out how we all move together forward together yeah I want to not leave anybody behind. I want to end it with two things. One, I I respect you for actually stepping back and listening to my point of view, saying, "No, Chris, I feel you, but stop looking at it as a white guy trying with your like inherent, not saying in a negative way, inherent savior <laughs> complex." But listen to it this way, and I, I I respect you for doing that. And secondly, I watched uh, Steve Harvey's like clips on YouTube, and I watched uh, the one with with RuPaul. Yo. I freaking love RuPaul. Like, I've seen a couple like of his interviews, and I'm like, huh. And I saw him on that show, and I'm like, dude, I freaking love RuPaul, man. I, I just think RuPaul <laughs> is freaking awesome. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, so, but it's also, and if you look at that YouTube clip of like Steve Harvey's interactions with RuPaul and his uh, his family, it was like a it, it's like a snapshot or like a really like quick picture of the black community's interactions with the LGBTQIA community. And I, I super connected with it. And at the end, at the end of it, I was like, man, I freaking love RuPaul. Uh, Raven was funny that one of his team members and um, I, I can't remember the other lady's name, but it, it just made me get like a, a deeper appreciation of, what may not be normal to me doesn't mean it's not normal in general. And I have to continue to understand how to accept and to love and understand people. So I just want to leave with that. And I want to talk about technology before we cut out. Okay. Hey, Paul, I love you, dude. Let's talk about technology. <laughs> so you're building Christie's website. Yes. So my wife, uh, my wife, I paused it. (laughs) I very specifically did everything. You're going to be getting another email from me, Riverside. Um, Yeah, so she is 
a very creative person and has been working on she's got like an Etsy store and some stuff that she's been doing but she specifically wants to build a new website for some t-shirt ideas that she has and so I have been tasked with trying to figure out how to make that happen uh, and the first thing I did was to call my friend Andre and say please help me I don't know what I'm doing and you were like dude stop crying I can't understand you uh, and once I did you're like look this is not that hard you want a static site there are some different options that you have for that. This is what I, these are a couple that I might recommend. Um, and so right now we're still in kind of design phase, right? Going through Inkscape. Um, okay. Okay. And, and working on just kind of like general layout ideas for how she would like it kind of structured before I go in and start using Bootstrap and all of that stuff to actually build the HTML tables structure. Um, I'm just kidding. That's I swear to God, I just will, for Andre. I will grab uh, you through. <laughs> there will be no tables. You know what? I'm actually. I think. Little little side. I'm going to create an HTML like a my own Bootstrap, but it's going to be 100% table based. There'll be responsive tables, but it'll be 100% table based. Anyways. Oh God. Okay. Continue. <laughs> no, I, that's pretty much all I got so far. So. The things that you recommended were Pelican, mm-hmm. which is it's a Pel. Right, so let me step back. When you okay. when you're building a website, you can like uh, build it in static HTML, and that means all the pages are not going to change unless you manually change everything. You can uh, take that same principle and idea and put it into WordPress, where it's somewhat quote unquote dynamic. And or you can put it into a static site generator. Um, now, static site generators means that you create the structure of the website and things will change and be regenerated. Um, hence the word generator uh, as you need as you see them fit, whether it be a blog post, whether that be a different page. And Pelican is one that's based on Python, which is like uh, my favorite language to write code in. Then uh, my side chick is Java. <laughs> um, so Pelican is based on Python. Hugo is based on a language that I've never really explored. It's another static site generator, but it's based on a language called Go. Um, okay. Now that Go is the one that uh, Google was using for a lot of their mobile app stuff for a while, right? That, for Android? Uh, Go is a... They were using that? it was used. They were using it for like a scripting language. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So, and not maybe they did do some mobile stuff. I don't really know, uh, but I do know that that was a scripting language. They were trying to replace some parts and some functionality of Java. Um, Java or JavaScript? Ja- or JavaScript. I apologize. Um, no, it's okay. Hugo is not bad. I, I've done a couple sites recently with Hugo and. As a static site generator, it's pretty fast. It builds pretty quickly. Um, but the reason I try to stay away from it is because I can't, I don't know Go and I'm not trying to learn. It's actually like my wife said, um, when we're, we're joking, jokingly talking about moving to Korea or no, Portugal. And because we're arguing about the, the, the cost of a plane flight. And I'm like, no, it's actually cheaper to go to Portugal than it is to Peru. And she goes, huh. But I don't want to know. <laughs> I'm too old to learn a different language. <laughs> so her 
her answer was basically like, I don't want to, I don't want to have to learn another language. I don't want to learn Portuguese. So it's, that's kind of how I feel about Hugo. I don't want to learn Go. So I feel more comfortable yeah. like doing things in, in Python or Java. And I don't want to pick up another language that it's, it's just kind of like not what I want to do. Now, granted, I could probably do it. Um, I just don't want to, cause I like to build plugins and, and optimization and stuff like that. But uh, a lot of the cool, this is what I was trying to convey to you, like forestry.io works really well with Hugo and uh, Gatsby and I think Jekyll. And so you can actually build all the nice front end stuff for, for your wife. So that way you don't have to worry about like maintaining the site for a lot. Right. Uh, you can do all the stuff in the back end, make, you know, stand it up real nice and pretty. And then for her, she's basically, it's going to be the, a, a familiar interface, like, uh, a Squarespace or a Wix or a WordPress site where she can go in and add things and take things out. And she doesn't need the technical know-how to make those things work on the front end and display for, uh, people. Right. You're not going in and writing a brand new HTML segment right for every time you have a blog post right, right. you're not um, writing a brand new page every time that i want to create some piece of content right you can actually you have you can templates essentially right yeah. that populate based on the information that you give it using python i would assume and then you right or in, actually in or so for example one site i built with hugo i actually made all the templates for uh, for example landing page and I turned it into sections. So as the user is adding or building a new landing page, they can pick a one column layout. They can pick a one column layout with text or a uh, two column layout, one column being text and one column being an image and just drag and drop. So it makes it a lot yes. easier for the non-technical user to use. So um, cool. yeah, so I, I think on that aspect, um, like there are a lot of, there are a lot of tools out there to build websites like but i'm not i just think it's unreasonable to pay like uh i want to say it's square you know it is squarespace it's 18 dollars a month right 18 dollars a month you may update a like a, a page or create a new landing page maybe twice a year but you paid 18 bucks a month it's unreasonable uh, Wix yeah. is, uh, I think it's $32 a month and they charge you for, I mean, I get it because like, if you don't have somebody who understands any of the technical stuff, right? Like how, how do you get that going to start? So I would argue and push back and say no. So if I buy a domain from uh, Google domains, yeah, it, if I host it on even AWS, like or Amazon Web Services, that, that's the, um, the full yeah, Using DigitalOcean? Or DigitalOcean or wherever. They give you SSL. So you're paying like 18 or 30, you know, almost 40 bucks a month for something that's technically free, right? Most providers give you SSL. You just have to provide the, the, the uh, domain name. Most people will never use the traffic. So when you say a site with unlimited traffic, you're never right. going to break like a gigabyte in your first two years for the most part. It's just not a thing. And if you do, chances are you're making more money. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not a big deal. Yeah. So it just blows. When I look at these pricing lists, I'm like, yo, you're caking off people for no reason. 
so is it worth $18 a month? No. Oh, we're going to give you a, you can send email with a, uh, a Google email server. I can buy a domain from Google, pay 12 bucks yep. and pay $6 a month for the entire, entire Google works, work, uh, work suite. So I can, you know, why am I paying 18 bucks? Like, tell me what cost $18 a month. So it's funny because I feel like this kind of brings us full circle back to the discussion of real estate commission. <laughs> right i mean you're basically paying for stuff that you don't need to pay for yeah you're paying for services things that you can do on your own uh and in this case you're paying exorbitant amounts of money i mean 32 dollars a month for a website it's ridiculous that is that is asinine and especially like we've talked about i think before either i know we've talked about it personally i think we talked about it on the podcast too but you know, Bootstrap, which is your HTML, you know, like your base structure. It's all open source, so you can get it for free. Uh, is adding e-commerce in shortly? Like uh, Bootstrap, so with, Bootstrap Studio. Uh, yeah, Bootstrap Studio. Yeah. Uh, so you're going to be able to it very easily add a shopping cart and everything else that you need in order to be able to handle e-commerce on your site. So, I I feel like in a lot of ways, these like people are running out of excuses to pay this stupid amount of money um for these services so we, hopefully that that's a good sign right that we're moving in the direction that we can get rid of all this unnecessary crap but well I, i'll tell you this if you ever want to like it's not for free but if you if you ever want somebody to kind of consult you on what that looks like like i'll be glad to do it for you but to pay 30 let's just say for giggles 20 bucks a month for a website and you're probably realistically going to it's like, 250 bucks a year. Yeah. You're probably going to update it twice a year or add a page twice a year or update something twice a year. It's not worth it. Like, call me. Like, Or no, don't call me. Send me an email. And I'll, I'll definitely yeah. be glad to help you out with that. But Where can they reach you? They can reach me at Andre at chrisandandreshow.com. Jeez. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's I, funny. We have our own domain that we can send emails to. Yeah, it's only. Do we have to pay somebody twenty bucks a month for that? No, it's like six bucks a, <laughs> a month. It's, it's just it, it blows my mind. Uh, and I and I tell you what, man, I, it's not just email domains. I had it like some people I was talking to a couple weeks ago. They were quoted fifteen k. Remember that number, fifteen k. Yep. To build a website. No. To change the front door of a house. I'm sorry, what? 15K. The only complete. Solid gold? The house had a, <laughs> the, the house had a, a brick front. That's probably. Okay. That may require a little bit of work because you want to make sure you get all the seals right. But sure. Not, you know, and I told them, you should have called me. But, like. When you're installing the door, that frame is not—it's—it's it's not like it's mortared into the no, brick. Like the brick is just a, a facade. Fifteen like the, K, Chris. Give me fifteen thousand. I will change that door in three hours. Yeah, that's that's. I I don't know, man. I mean, I don't know if it's just that people are are. I mean, part of it, I'm sure, is that there's there's greedy people out there, right? And then there are enough gullible people who just don't know any better that they they pay but i don't get it i don't how do you not shop around how do you not get a second quote on that you know i just 
I mean, I don't know. Maybe maybe the people that you're talking about didn't go through with it, but no, it's they did. Just like they they actually this person actually did the job for the person that got quoted 15k from one of the big box stores, and they they actually get like uh, third party contractors. Yeah, no, they don't do it themselves. Yeah, but 15k to change a door. Absolutely ridiculous. And I had somebody hit me up, and they were like, uh, "Hey, uh, you know, it's, dude, I know I could probably charge like three thousand dollars just to change fixtures on interior doors. (laughs) Like it's just like I just get like a drill. Also, something you can do yourself, (laughs) right? Like it's not hard. I'm telling you, man, I'm in the wrong business, but. Anyway, Apparently we both are. I'm glad we got to There's talk no about money in podcasting. Yeah, <laughs> Apparently, at least not for us yet. Apparently, I can take a, a, a 40, 50 dollar WordPress theme and charge you fourteen hundred bucks a month, you know, fourteen hundred dollars and then like a hundred dollars a month uh, maintenance fee. Dude, there there are ways to get these things done and like. Just stop spending money like that maybe we need to change the title of our podcast to the sensible podcast <laughs> and just everything we talk about is how ridiculous stuff is and <laughs> what the actual like sensible solution should be <laughs> well i'll end it with this. maybe that's another podcast we can yeah. start <laughs> i'll end it with this our uh our server cost last month was 49 cents Crickets. I'll send you a quarter. 40, 49 <laughs> cents. I was happy to pay my 49 cents as opposed to like 20, yeah. 30 bucks a month. But That's... yeah, I, I don't know. To, I, I, I just can't. Well, anyway, we're super glad you joined us. It's been another long episode. and But I do. I'm, I'm glad I got to talk to you. I look forward to this Always. every week, man. I really do. Um, I'm sure my wife does because... Well, actually, she probably doesn't because I use all my words with you, and then I, I'm. See, at then a, you don't talk to her for like three days after. Yeah, this. I'm at a deficit. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, yeah. well, you talked to I Chris mean, I, for like two hours." I'm like, "Yeah, but it's stuff I want to talk about." <laughs> see, I think my wife appreciates it. She like, I don't come home and and tell her anything, and she's like, "Oh, thank God, I don't have to listen to him, bitch." <laughs> <laughs> no. I Oh man! So this is uh, though. I mean, this is this is almost always the highlight of my week. Is is, and I I don't say that lightly. Like I mean, yeah, you're my best friend, and you have been for a while now. And so, any time I get to spend with you is great. But this is always so much fun because I never know what we're going to talk about, even with our show notes. I never know exactly where it's going to go. And I just, I guess, at this point. As we're starting to get more people watching and listening and continuing to get new subscribers and stuff like that, it's encouraging because I think at the end of the day, like what we do discuss are reasonable things that everyday people are dealing with, right? And and I don't think that our opinion strays very much from where a lot of people are. And right. so I hope that you know, the people who are tuning in and subscribing are enjoying this and you know, that at the end of the day, you're getting something out of this that even if it's just a couple of hours or the 10 minutes that you watch one of our clips and you go, man, those guys are crazy. Um, that's cool. You know, like, I, I don't know. This is fun. I love telling people about it. I I got, we got our business cards now that we're showing off to everybody. I've been handing them out left and right. Um, 
So we're going to we're just going to keep doing it because that's what we do. And at the end of the day, it's not it's not about how many subscribers or how many views or whatever we've got. It's about two guys sitting down and having a conversation. And yeah, it gives me a chance. Two guys who care a lot about each other. Yeah, it gives me a chance to talk to my my dude because um we talked a few episodes back about mental health, and I think what keeps me sane is that I have like a a, a circle of people I can talk to and like kind of really say, "Hey, I'm I'm lost." <laughs> so <laughs> it's like one of the like most honest things I could say is like, "I don't I don't get this," or <laughs> so, or that doesn't make sense to me. Please help me out because I think I'm lost on this one, and. <laughs> I really personally believe that we all need that. I, a little, at least if we're being honest, we we definitely know that that's lacking in our lives, and that rare glimpse of honesty you can have with you know, with certain people in your life it doesn't. There's no set number to how many people those are, but um, it's helpful. So four, we can four. Have four. I think that's I have it. I have three, and so you're you're below the limit. Yeah, and I, actually, but what's funny is that I talk to my sons like the same way, and the reason I do that is, and my daughter as well, is because I want them to know that it's okay not to be like have it all figured out all the time, <laughs> and I think it's helpful for them to understand like, yeah, my dad doesn't have that figured out, <laughs> or you know, I mean, honestly, I know she's only eight, but I'm the same way with my kid. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't try to sugarcoat or you know, like hide stuff from her when she asks questions i try to answer them as honestly as i can and a lot of the times i say you know i don't know i don't know why people do that i don't right. know why so and so did what they did or said what they said but um you know this is what i do know and right. i think a lot of the times like that's what your kids are looking for sure like i think you know like a lot of the times we grow up thinking our parents have all the answers but it, I don't think we get very far in life before we start to realize that's not exactly the case. And that in most most op, most instances, they're doing the best they can with the knowledge that they have. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I figured out when my, I realized my parents uh, should have just told me Santa Claus didn't exist. We were in uh, Norway at Christmas time. We had a fireplace on. And in Norway, if you've ever heard of a room, well, the fact that it's the land of, of the midnight sun. So we're talking two o'clock in the morning and it's still sunset. Yeah. And so I go downstairs to the living room. The fire's on. I didn't hear any reindeer. I'm like, yeah, this guy's not coming. And so at some point I went to, I went back up to my room and went to sleep and I realized that, yo, he could have never got in here because the fireplace is on. <laughs> like, you know, I was. Haven't uh, you watched the Santa Claus with Tim and Curry or Tim Allen? You know how old Curry? I am. That would have been a totally different movie with Tim Curry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of want to see that now. It's too bad he's gone. Anyway, so um, we're super glad you joined us. You can always catch us on uh, YouTube, obviously, uh, SoundCloud, Pandora, uh, Google Podcasts, Apple uh, Podcasts, or Apple Music. Uh, as tune in. And if you're adventurous on our website, we have also have a link to our RSS feed. You can hit us up on our emails. I'm Andre at Chris and And I am Chris at Chris and Good job. And if you want to visit our website, it's on, it's, it's Chris. It's Andre. <laughs> it's Chris and We are on the webs. We'll probably be doing a, a nice, 
super refresh in the, in the next month or so. Uh, once, it's about time. Yeah. You know. yeah it's not going to cost us like $3,000. So <laughs> No. I'm just going to go in and I'm going to be like, find all this color. Change it to <laughs> this color. <laughs> As always, I'm Andre. And I'm Chris. And we'll talk to you next time. You're such a fool. <laughs> I do my best, you know? Yeah.